Um, this morning, we are still in the sermon series about living a life of spiritual renewal, living a life of spiritual renewal. We've been this for months. We've looked at ancient uh, practices for, uh, that the church has been engaged in for thousands of years in terms of, of engaging our relational God who wants to know us, who is seeking after us, who wants a living relationship with us. And these are practices that are meant to, to cultivate that, to continue to invite him into the, the, the deepest, most inmost parts of our souls. And so this morning is a sermon on solitude and silence. So I'm not going to preach anything. We'll stand here in silence for about 40 minutes. Just kidding. But solitude and silence, um, I'm not sure how how common we, we talk about those things in 2023, especially the silence part. Our, our culture is anything but silent, right? Um, it, it is a loud culture, not just a busy one, but a loud culture. But why should a church talk about something like silence and solitude? Those things are kind of paired together and really are inseparable. We talk about them because it's something that Jesus himself practiced Constantly, constantly when Jesus walked this earth, you find him escaping, retreating into silence and solitude. And so that's why we're going to look at it, because we are a church that believes that when uh, Jesus invited us to follow him, he is inviting us to embody his way of life and know that there's great spiritual power when our lives uh, mirror the life that he lived and so we're going to be diving into that. But first, just kind of a definition about the word solitude and what we're trying to communicate. Solitude means completely alone, and that's not exactly in terms of a spiritual practice when we say, you know, find solitude to be with God. That's just a thing. You're maybe in solitude from, you know, the noise of the media, you know, and our phones and screens, etc. Maybe solitude from other people. But when you separate yourselves from those things in solitude, what you find yourself with is you're not actually alone because God is there and God wants to meet you. And so um, we're never actually in complete solitude. And so in that sense, we're referring to, you know, physically speaking, this is when a lot of these practices aren't just these things we internalize or kind of do like our physical surroundings greatly affect this pursuit of, of solitude, of, of being with God alone. Um, and the same thing could be said about silence. Um, it, it very much involves a physical space that we can find ourselves in that can be silent. And we're going to see Jesus, the, the common word, one common word to describe the places you went to is the word desolate. Desolate places. In desolate places, there's not a lot of sound and not a lot of people, solitude and silence. There's also uh, one of the most important stories in Scripture that we see early on in, in the biblical canon, early on in the Bible, just a couple of uh, books in. We see Israel, who was in Egypt for 400 years after they were liberated from their oppressors. They were on their way to the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. But first... God had them to dwell in the wilderness. 
to dwell in the wilderness. If you have a map in your mind, I don't know if you have the Middle Eastern kind of, you know, orientation, but you have Israel, you have Egypt, there's this gap of land in the middle, the, the Sinai Peninsula. The Bible calls this the wilderness. When we think of wilderness, you may think of like a forest or something. But really, this is a desert, okay? This is a cracked ground, dry, arid, pokey things coming out of the ground. Like this is not a place you see a lot of animals, not a lot of water. That's the wilderness. It's a desolate place. And God wanted his people to to dwell there. And even in the ancient church, when when cities began being built up early on, um, people started finding themselves, followers of Jesus, retreating from the cities and actually, like Israel did, actually dwelling in the desert for years. And uh, there's, you know, we call these people the, the, the desert fathers and mothers is what the church is known to call them. And they, as they dwelt in the desert to, to be with God and to meet with God, that they left behind uh, huge amounts of writings, uh, really as a, as a testament and a treasury for their pursuit of God, for the wisdom gained from being with God in the desert. But why the desert? Like, why a desolate place? We're in Wilmington. There's no desert close by. This is on a sermon on deserts. But I want you just to listen to, to I want to dig into this idea. Uh, this is from uh, Thomas Merton. He's, he's one of my favorite authors. He was an American uh, Catholic monk and mystic who lived in Kentucky, I believe, um, about 50 or so years ago. So what he had to say. The desert fathers believed that the wilderness had been created supremely valuable in the eyes of God precisely because it had no value to people. The wasteland was the land that could never be wasted by men because it offered them nothing. There was nothing to attract them. There's nothing there to exploit. The desert was the region in which the chosen people, Israel, had wandered for 40 years, cared for by God alone. They could have reached the promised land in just a few months if they had traveled directly to it. But God's plan was that they should learn to love him in the wilderness, that they should always look back on the time in the desert as the ideal time of their life with him alone. In other words, it is such a desolate place like a desert or like the wilderness that is an ideal, a, one of the ideal places for us to be in. Because why? Why is that? I don't know if you've ever spent time in the, in the, in the desert before. Alex and I briefly uh, did a couple of years back in Arizona. It was in October, went for a hike in the desert, and they were like, be careful, be careful. I was like, it's October, it's fine. It was not fine. It was already smoking hot, crazy, you know, it was insane. Beautiful, nice. The cactuses were interesting, and the, the you know, it was, it was nice. But, but you quickly realize, if it's like 90 degrees in October, what is the summer like in Arizona? I can't fathom. I can't fathom. But without air conditioning and modern technology or ways of funneling in water, like I would just assume that place would not be habitable, right, by people because there's nothing really there. And that's precisely what we often need to quiet our souls before God. Desolate places actually can teach us a lot about who we are as people, a lot about human nature. In terms of if, if that's where God called his people to and where people commonly went to, what does that tell us about ourselves as people? It means that we need an empty space to really empty ourselves out in order to really learn to hear the voice of God because we are drawn and attracted 
to, to just being filled with, with noise and with, 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 with uh, opportunities to, to perhaps avoid things that are happening in here, uh, uh, things you don't want to face, things that you don't necessarily want to deal with. And it's far easier to go to a place where there's noise and there's busyness and there's things happening because you can avoid maybe God's own voice that is calling you and challenging you and trying to convict you and pull him closer to yourself. And you say, no, I'd rather busy up my ears with, you know, my phone over here or with movies or whatever you have. We need to dwell in such desolate places because we have all those layers that need to be stripped out before God. And so practicing silence and solitude is really kind of a way to rebel against it. It's pushing back against it. To sit with the scriptures open and perhaps a pen and paper handy. Get a nice pen. I always tell people, if you want to write, get a nice pen. It really encourages the whole writing experience to sit and just kind of start pouring out your own soul before God when nobody else is around. When it's quiet and the scriptures are open and God's word is in front of you and he is speaking to you and you are engaging him. It's there that we can face our cares and our anxieties. For in fact, I think we must face those things. And that's the training ground, really, a training ground for allowing God to truly be the one to start ruling over our cares and anxieties in life rather than ourselves. And that's such a hard leap to take. It's such a hard leap to say, I'm truly going to go hand these things over because I know when I often sit, especially in busy weeks or just more stress-filled seasons of life, and I'm trying to sit alone, and I realize like 15 minutes just went like that. And what happened in 15 minutes was nothing but my own voice just And I was like, I've been sitting here. Like, I've been doing nothing but just racing this like marathon in my own mind. And really, in a way, like, I'm still trying to grasp control of the thing that's causing me to have anxiety when God is saying, look, I am Lord, I am King. Are you going to talk to me about it? Are you going to lay those things out before me? Are you going to keep trying to rule over them as if you are Lord and King of your own life? Let's be honest, funny cat videos on YouTube are way easier to stare at than to do this right? Busying yourself up is way easier than to sit in silence and to face these things. But that can be the place of inner transformation before God. So now I want to look at the life of Jesus in depth. Um, As followers of Jesus at Emmanuel Church, we want to practice the very things that Jesus practiced. He he modeled our way of life as what it means to be a human being here in relationship to God the Father He was born in skin and bones, a human being just like you and I. And Jesus very often practiced this thing of silence and solitude. So I want to look at the situations in his life that occurred. They vary. They're very different. That caused him to go and to meet with his father in desolate places. There's six things we're going to look at. So you have a pen and paper. Maybe jot some of these things down. I can always send you notes on this later. So the first thing that we see Jesus early on in his ministry is he pursues uh, solitude for preparation for a season of life that was ahead of him. He's baptized, Matthew chapter 3. 
The Holy Spirit descends on him. The voice from heaven speaks, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's time for his real ministry to begin. What is the first stop for him? The wilderness. Matthew 4, 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And you can go through the story there about all the temptations. Before Jesus began his ministry, he was driven to a desolate place to face this, to prepare for this. And really, it was 40 days into it. So what we learn from the text It was in 40 days, in this long period of solitude, that was Jesus was preparing himself, that he finds himself suddenly not alone anymore, but Satan shows up. And here's just one thing that we, as we pursue solitude, like, spiritual enemy is real. Like, demonic forces are real. And oftentimes when we pursue God in these places of, of solitude, like, you may should kind of prepare yourself for some, what we Christians often refer to as spiritual attack. You're putting yourself in a vulnerable position to say, Lord, I, I want to give you all of myself. And the enemy says, no, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. If, not, if I can't distract you, you know, enough here, I won't have to go after you. That's what happened to Jesus. And if you, if you keep in mind, this was 40 days in, I always kind of laugh. It says, in 40 days of not eating, then he was hungry. It's like, it took him 40 days to get hungry? Like, I'm already hungry and I had breakfast two hours ago. Jesus is a tough guy. But Satan waited for his most vulnerable moment when he was hungry. When he was just, there's nothing left. That's when he was on the attack. So as we, as we pursue this, just be aware. Be ready. But in him, we are more than conquerors, right? And actually, if you look at the beginning, the spirit drove him there for the purpose of actually being tempted by the devil because there's actually something to learn when we're pressed hard in that dark spiritual place. There's some formation that needs to occur inside of us that God often allows, even as he protects us. So that's the first uh, uh, situation that drove Jesus in solitude was There's a big season ahead of him, and he was preparing for it. He was preparing for it. So there's a season in life that you're entering into that's going to be long and and, and lots of question marks ahead, and and it's stressful. That could be a good indicator. I need some alone time with God. I need some solitude and silence with him. Number two, for seasons that involve wisdom for big decisions— Jesus sought solitude often before big decisions had to be made. Luke 6, 12 through 16. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued to God in prayer. All night. And when day came, he called his disciples. Must have been exhausted, right? Up all night. Called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. And all the names, you know, Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthews, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, became a traitor. Choosing his 12 disciples was a big, important decision. And that drove him to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, do you have a habit in, such a, in your life if there's a big decision that needs to be made, right? What is your, how do you pursue that, right? For Jesus, it was escaping to be 
with God alone and to hear from him and to wrestle with him in prayer, to receive his wisdom, to receive his direction. I know so often to avoid that and just kind of try to do things on your own, but we learn from Jesus. We're instructed by him at those times. That's a good season to escape and to be with God in silence and solitude. Number three, rest. Jesus sought solitude for the purpose of rest. Ministry in Jesus early on in in these stages, it was extraordinarily busy. The crowds were gathered as he healed people, as he taught. The noise was, was, was constant and he was exhausted, right? Look at Mark 6, 31. And he said to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest for a while. I can say that if I'm exhausted or I'm uh, really tired again, to just kind of fall into the mindless distractions that are just so readily available today, um, I don't often walk away if I fall into that, like feeling blessed like feeling sharp and feeling rested. I feel almost like more scrambled in my brain. This is an imitation by Jesus that says, no, just, you need to escape to a desolate place that is quiet and just rest. Take a nap. We're going to see somebody later on in our sermon today who really needed a nap because he was in a rough spot in life. A nap alone. Just needed a nap. Maybe you need just a nap in this room alone, but nobody to bother you. My youth pastor is, is growing up, he used to call them, those are not just naps, those are holy naps, right? But it's true though. Come away, rest for a while. Just rest. God may be there in your rest. Four, mourning. Jesus sought solitude for the purpose of mourning. Matthew 4, 13, this, was, this first comes right after his, his relative and his friend John the Baptist had just been killed. He got news of it, 4, 13, 14, 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat. When he heard the news of his friend's death, it is relative's death, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, mourning and lament is another kind of difficult practice. It's also a spiritual practice of getting closer to God. And it's especially easy not to do this. Mourning, however, is absolutely necessary. And if there's a pastoral word that I have this morning, I, I've met so many people throughout you know, my time pastoring that in, the, in, in light of a loss, years go by. And they actually can look me in the eye and say, I've, I've never mourned. I don't want to. I can't. I can't. Some of you may be here right this morning that you've had a tremendous loss in your life. Could have been recent or even years back and you have still not taken time to mourn. Jesus is our model here and that he escapes and he faces this mourning process. He faces it head on. If that's you this morning, do not run away from the process of mourning. You will find God in your mourning, in your lament. Open up the book of Lamentations. We preached through that some years ago. It is a biblical practice to go before God and just cry out and to mourn. Please don't avoid that. Please don't escape from that. It will crush you inside. Be like Jesus. Follow his way of life 
escape to a desolate place by himself, by yourself, and mourn before God. Number five, and this is also very important here, and they're all very important. Number five, what drove Jesus to solitude? Busyness. Jesus sought solitude and silence when things were really busy. Luke 5, 12 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged them to tell no one. Like, shh, don't tell anybody what just happened. But go show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse 16, what did Jesus do? What was the response? But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Big crowds, busyness, things are picking up. This seemed really successful. And, and there's actually a, um, a the, Bible, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek, and there's a tense of that word withdrew that, that means that he, he was doing this frequently. Like this was, oh, there's a crowd of people, there's busy, it's getting crazy, I got to go have some time with my father in solitude. Right? There's a formula here that sounds completely counterintuitive. The busier you are, the more time you need for solitude and silence. That's the formula we see in Jesus. The busier you are, the more time you need in solitude and silence before God. So what does that mean for us in America? We really need a lot of this. We really need a lot of this. I think I quoted this before, but Martin Luther, who, who, who started the Reformation back in the 1500s, talk about a busy man, had the weight of the, of the world on his shoulders. This is what he said. I am so busy now. That if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. I'm so busy. I gotta have hours a day praying. If I don't do that, there's no way I wanna make it through. Are you too busy to take time like this? Are you too busy? If you are, it means that you must take time for this. That you must take time for this. And, and, and uh, number six here, Jesus sought solitude before really big events, right? There's a season of ministry he was preparing for, but we see him before the big event of the cross where he bore our sins for our salvation the night before. Where was he found? He was found with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, verse 36. And Jesus went to them into a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there solitude and pray if there's a big event coming up in life or maybe you're entering a new stage in life you know perhaps entering into college a job change maybe marriage is coming up maybe there's a, a birth of a child or a grandchild or uh, whatever it might be uh, so just a, a a big event that is on the horizon that you know is coming it's time to pursue solitude 
Because it, it is there that if there's, there's natural stress that comes with these kind of things in life, and it's there that we can actually bring them before God and even wrestle with him in your stress, in your questions, in the unknown of that event that is coming up. Because Jesus really did that. He struggled before the event of the cross. This was not an easy night, but he took time alone and he wrestled with God. So much so that he was actually sweating blood. I've known a lot of stressed out people in my life. I've never seen somebody sweat blood because of their stress. We, we, we can't comprehend the weight that he had going into this, knowing that the, the sins of the world were about to be on his own shoulders. It is that weight that he carried. So I, I, I want to get practical now in terms of just of our, of our church and our community because maybe something like pursuing silence and solitude, um, maybe uh, this is an unfamiliar practice for you. It's a very ancient Christian practice, um, but maybe it's not something that's a normal part of your life. Maybe it's kind of there. So I'm gonna give a, a couple of just really practical pointers here is number one, time and place matter. Not just place, but time matters. There's another pattern that arises in Jesus's life that we see, he would wake up early, like super early, sun's not even up, and he would get up really early. Uh, We see this in Mark chapter one, verses 35 to 39, speaking to Jesus, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he he prayed. I was reading how one out of three Americans are sleep deprived. 40% have confessed to falling asleep in the middle of the day on the job just because they're exhausted, like at least once a month, at least once a month. Um, You have have to kind of plan for a morning of solitude. The best way to plan for that is to not be up till one o'clock, right? (laughs) It's the best way to plan for this. So time and place matter. But here's my question, though, back to the desolate place. You don't, we don't need to go to a desert, as we talked about, to, to meet with God. You can, metaphorically speaking, make your own desert in your own house. Meaning, where is your desolate place? Right? Because that place can become holy for you. That place can become precious to you. When you see it, you're like, that's the place where I wake up and I'm alone and I just pour myself out to God and he speaks to me. My scriptures are open on my lap. In my place in our house, we have a sunroom that is there in the, in, right in front of our home. And even if it's like 25 degrees outside, I'm like putting on jackets. You know, I'm up early. It's freezing cold in there. Like I'm trying to tough it out because that's, that's my place. There's a little couch I found on the side of the road that we put in there. And it's actually a really comfy couch. And it's free, which is the best. And that's like my place in the mornings. I'm in there alone. You can, my kids can tell you I'm there. I'm praying. My scriptures, that's, that's, my, that's my desert place. My wife's is in the living room on the couch. Where is yours? If you don't have one, go and make one in your house. This is crucial. I've been seeing somebody to help me um, uh, develop my own relationship with God. And he's been pressing me so hard. He's like, you have to just continue to press into that holy place in your own house where you find yourself wrestling with him because you need that. Do not neglect that. I've been trying to cultivate it. So the question is, where is your place? Where is your desert? If you don't have one, go and make one. As we close, I want to just a few summary points, right? We've talked about meeting God in this silence and solitude, 
during times of preparation, when you need wisdom from God for decisions, and times when you need to rest, times of mourning, busyness, and before important events. I hope in any of those, maybe you're sitting here and you can relate to those, and I pray that the Spirit of God has already spoken to you as those things have been listed. But I want to look at a story as we close. Sometimes story just makes things get real, okay, when it comes to the need for silence and solitude. I think that one of the biggest hurdles we have in America is because of our noise, because of the constant just uh, availability and the ease and the convenience of the noise of our culture through media and our screens and et cetera and so forth. Our churches, if we're not careful, we can, we can um, substitute our, our need to hear from God to be always, you know, in the pursuit of a big kind of dramatic emotional experience. And that's not to be neglected. God, all throughout Scripture, often meets people in dramatic ways, like events where like you, you feel the presence of God just overtake you, overcome you, fill you, feel his warmth, you feel his love. And you say, yes, he's real. Like, I know it right now. Like, those moments happen, and I pray that that happens in your life. And it has happened and will happen in your life. But, I, but, but this uh, story you're about to read is about a man who, who was pursuing that moment because he was in a hard spot. A very dark and, 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 and deep place in life where he was looking for that mount, a literal mountaintop experience. He wanted a big dramatic event with God, and he thought that's what he needed. He thought that's what he needed. Let's look into this, though, in 1 Kings 9, 19, 1 through 8, from the Hebrew Scriptures from the Old Testament. There's a man called Elijah, and he, he had just had this big, you can read his story, this big victorious event where he was used greatly by God. And after this, this great event, the, the, the queen who was ruling the nation said, all right, that's it. I'm going to kill you for what you've done. He's trying to call the nation back to worship God and to purify them of their false pagan worship. And he thought that he was victorious, but the queen still said, no, we're still in resistance against this message of your God. We're going to kill you. So Elijah, the prophet, the big, strong, powerful prophet, he kind of throws in the towel. It's like, I'm done. I gave it my all. And apparently, if that's still the result, I, I got nothing left. So where does he go? Verse 4, 1 Kings 19. But he, Elijah, himself went a day's journey, where? Into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. There were people that were in depression in Scripture. I don't know if you ever have read an instance of depression before, but that's it. This is a dark place for Elijah. And he lays down and sleeps under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he slept again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, 
which is really also Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. Elijah's destination was Mount Sinai, the very place where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Read Exodus 19, you see how dramatic that encounter was. Pearls of thunder, earthquakes, this loud, mysterious trumpet blast, the voice of God booming, everybody was in fear. Like, talk about a dramatic story in Scripture. And Elijah in his spot said, I need that. I need that kind of thing. I need God to just boom his voice and just rock me. And it begins, we're getting hints from God here, it begins this journey with him taking a nap. And then we see an angel sent by God to give him a snack. Like, Elijah, maybe you should just sleep and here's a little food. Like, Take a breather. You're in the wilderness. You're alone. You left your servant behind. Like, have a snack, Elijah. And he eats a little bit, and he goes to sleep, and then he's waking up again. Like, no, no, no. Like, eat, Elijah. Have some food. Here's a holy snack. Take your holy nap. But you have a journey in front of you because God does want to meet with you. So as he gets up from those very ordinary events of just eating and sleeping, on that strength, he goes and pursues this big experience. If you've been in church for some time, this story might be familiar with you. Verse 9, and he came to Mount Sinai, the big mountain, looking for his Moses experience. And he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? What are you looking for? Elijah responds, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, I am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. Verse 11, and he said, go out and stand on the mounts before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Sounds like what Moses experienced when he was there. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Again, Exodus 19, this happened when Moses was there. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. You ever been in, the, in a group of people talking, right? And imagine somebody like joined and was like, hi, oh, can I be a part of the conversation? Can I talk? Like, you wouldn't hear anything, right? You can only hear a whisper if you're actually like listening for it, if things are quiet around you. And after all these big dramatic things are sweeping through and God's not in any of them, suddenly Elijah must find himself in a still and quiet, silent time in this desolate place when suddenly he hears the whisper. And he had to still his soul in the quietness to hear the whisper of God. And when he heard it, it was then that he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And you can finish the story on your own time. God wanted to Elijah, he wanted this prophet Elijah to learn this very practice. In his solitude on this, on this mountain, he needed to still his heart before God. 
and listen. You need to find a calmness and quietness in spirit and listen. Through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the voice of God is available to us. And I'm telling you, many of you in this room are in desperate need to sit and to listen. And friends, as we close, I'm going to call the worship team to come up now. We preach these messages because we want you at this church, as we read at the opening of our service from Hosea chapter 6, to pursue silence and solitude is to really press into knowing God. We've been talking about for months all these various practices and we preach them in order that you may press into God. We want to equip you for you to press into knowing God because I'm here to tell you he wants you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And the question is like as you leave this room today, do you want to know him more? Because he knows you and he wants you so close to him. To read this passage one more time from Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down. He will bind us up. Maybe you feel torn down today. Maybe you feel a need of healing. Maybe you feel struck down this morning. And the promise is he will bind you up. After two days, he will revive us as he did with his son Christ. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Verse 3, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers and the spring rings water the earth. Jesus, I ask for your spirit to stir within us a longing for silence and solitude before you. Lord, stir in our hearts a desire, not for the sake of solitude or silence, Lord, but for the sake of knowing you, for the sake of your voice just penetrating deep into the innermost parts of our soul or just breaking through all those layers. Lord, let us just love this, develop a love for running into this, Lord, to hear from you, Lord. We need your voice in our life. We need you to speak through our scriptures, Lord, the scriptures that you have gifted us with, Lord. So I pray in your people this morning as we're ready to to do some praying, Lord, to respond to what you've done this morning. Lord, give us power to respond to you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. is all I am longing for here in the secret place your nearness is all I am waiting for here in the quiet place here in the quiet place my soul waits for you alone like the watchman wait for dawn here I finally found the place where we'll meet Lord Thank you.
finally found where I belong. I finally found where I belong. I finally found where I belong to be with you. I finally found where I belong. I finally found where I belong in your presence. I finally found where I belong to be with you. Your presence is all that I'm longing for. Here in the secret place, your nearness is all I am waiting for. Here in My soul waits for you alone Like the watchman wait for dawn Here I finally found the place Where we'll meet Lord face to I finally found where I belong to be with you. I finally found where I belong. I finally found where I belong in your presence. I finally found where I belong to be with you. Here in your presence, God, I find my rest. Here in your presence, God. Here in your presence, God, I find my rest. Here in your presence, God.